Welcome back to the next installment of To Ardsnet and Beyond. I'm sure that you've just been waiting on the edge of your seat to find out what's going to happen to Phil. Just to refresh your memory, he's that 53-year-old male who underwent extensive belly surgery for that perforated viscous. He was profoundly shocky prior to surgery and afterwards, but he was a sepsis success story and got better with source control. A few days after surgery, you came on shift and found that his oxygenation was worsening on the ventilator. episode we identified that he had possible ARDS but the water was muddied with the fact that he had a significant amount of fluids during his hospital stay for septic shock and it's in the back of our mind that there could be a component of volume overload. We did put him on ARDSnet and he stabilized down to a FiO2 of 70% with a PP14. His most recent PF ratio was 140 after being 120 earlier in the day before optimization of his PEEP. So we've put him on ARDSnet What's next? Figuring out what to do with our guy just got tough. First of all, he is looking like someone who meets requirements for several advanced ARDS therapies with a PF ratio of 140 on moderate settings, but he's still so new after event adjustments, it's hard for me to pull the trigger on anything. And that's fair. So what do you do? Nothing? Wait? Yeah, that makes us nervous doing nothing in the ICU. But I'd get an ABG every six hours or so purely for tracking his PF ratio and start to make decisions with trends of PF ratios, not just one number. So I'm going to get on my soapbox really quick and say, make sure your arts patients have an A-line because sticking people every six hours it just requires an A-line. But it's interesting you put it that way. Tell me more what you mean about making decisions off of PF trends. The PF ratio is just such a frustrating number. It feels like trying to hit a moving target. It can be 100 on one ABG and 200 the next. A patient can qualify for ECMO cannulation one minute and be considered for an SBT the next. As somebody looking at a patient like Phil with possible ARDS, remember there's this voice in the back of your head whispering, It's your fault. You can't watch All that fluid you gave me earlier this week. It's your fault. Why are we going by PF ratios so much? ARDS really needs a better classification system of severity that separates itself from the rapidly fluctuating PF ratio. But in the absence of one, I have to care about the PF ratio because it helps me determine how severe my patient's ARDS is and lets us compare it to PF ratios in the studies for advanced therapies. What advanced therapy options do we have beyond ARDSnet protocol? The list of studied therapies includes diuresis or fluid restriction, deeper sedation and paralytics, prone positioning, VV ECMO, APRV, the oscillator, inhaled pulmonary vasodilators. And that's a lot. This is ICU medicine, so I'm sure that everybody agrees on when to use these therapies, and there's just no debate at all, right? That sounds exactly like all the intensivists I know. The ones that have true multicenter RCT data, that is the therapies that have true multicenter data, are ARDSnet, fluid restriction, prone positioning, and ECMO. Hey, Oscillator has true RCT data. Yes, it does, but it's negative data. Two major trials, Oscar and Oscillate, came out in 2013, and one was stopped early due to the harm in the Oscillator arm, and the other showed no difference. Since that time, Oscillators have been scarce to zero at our hospital system. So let's spend a little time on each one of those. 
The FACTS trial came out in 2006 and showed a conservative fluid strategy in ARDS reduced time on the ventilator, ICU days, and improved lung function. It also did not lead to worsened organ failure, which is always the fear when we're diuresing patients, when we're worried about risk of kidney injury. In that study, a conservative fluid strategy frequently meant diuresis with furosemide if the patient was volume overloaded and hemodynamically stable. So let's bring that study back to our example patient, good old Phil. We've put him on ARDSnet, but we're worried that this could be iatrogenic volume overload from crystalloid. It's clear that we should diurese him. It will help if there's a component of cardiogenic pulmonary edema, and it will help if it's just pure ARDS based on the FACT trial. And Phil was placed on a LASIK strip after ARDSnet. Let's move on to prone positioning. Flipping people over sounds pretty cool. Should we do that to Phil? We've been proning patients since the 1970s. We knew proning improved oxygenation, but what we couldn't prove was that it improved mortality. That all changed in 2014 with that landmark Proceva trial. So what was the difference? The thought is that what it actually improved mortality was longer time in the prone position. They used 16 hours of consecutive proning minimum. So we aren't going to spend too much time on each individual trial in this section of the podcast because we want to talk more about how they all interplay together and how that leads into making an actual decision for our patient. To help you decide if your patient should be proned, I think it's helpful to know the inclusion criteria. So perceive a prone patients when they hit 60% FO2 and only a PEEP of 5 with PF ratios of 150 or less. I just want to emphasize that that is markedly less hypoxemic than we're typically proning in our healthcare system currently. I've noticed that too. Why do you think that is? I think a lot of critical care providers are used to dealing with sick patients, so 60% FiO2 and 5 of PEEP is honestly nothing. In fact, our example patient being on 70% over 14 means that we still have plenty of room on the ventilator to go, and so I think that sometimes we're you know, jaded into not proning people because, well, they have more FiO2. There's 30% left. The implication here is that there's no need to rush to proning because my patient is not on maximum support. I find that line of thinking interesting because in my mind, we want to prone patients similarly to how they did in Proceva. Why? Because out of all the proning RCTs over the years, they were the only one to show a mortality benefit. And in Perceva, the authors prone patients much earlier and definitely not only as a rescue mode to conventional ventilation. So why aren't we proning enough? Uh, maybe our first thought was that we've got this mentality. What else is there? Is prone positioning invasive to the patient? It's certainly not as big a deal as cannulating them for ECMO, but yet it feels like it is. Certainly it doesn't feel the same as ordering BiPAP for a patient. Why does it feel more invasive than it might be? It could be because it's extremely cumbersome on the staff, either when manually proning or when utilizing the rotoprone bed. Uh, no endorsement on products, but that's just the one that we use. It can be stressful on family members to also see their loved ones upside down. And beyond that, if you've ever seen a prone patient flip back over, there's a lot of facial edema. It can be really, really scary. We'll also have that patient paralyzed and are essentially tying them to that room for the next week to 10 days. It sort of eliminates that sliver of hope in the back of your mind that's seen all those rapid fluctuations of PF ratios over the years, that hope that you could come back for a shift tomorrow and the night team reports. They didn't worsen overnight. In fact, they did so well, they're now primed for your SBT. I get that piece, and it's not as big of a decision as putting somebody on ECMO, but it is a big care pathway decision, and it's a commitment. 
especially if you go back to Phil. To prone him is to definitively declare, this is ARDS, this is not pulmonary edema. Proceva, yes, they prone patients on fairly low oxygen settings in comparison to ECMO trials and earlier than traditional prone trials, but they also introduce an interesting wrinkle. They go to a lot of trouble in the paper of mentioning that they wanted to prone patients immediately. In fact, they had a protocol of proning them nearly immediately after they qualified for the study, within an hour of once the decision was made to prone. Yet they had a PF ratio of 150 for at least 12 hours prior to being eligible. For a study focused on early utilization of prone positioning, that 12-hour wait time was a head-scratcher at first. One way to think about it is that they waited 12 hours to essentially trend their PF ratio to prove that the patient had ARDS before proning them. Yes, and this is brilliant because it accounts somewhat for the poor reliability of PF ratios and would allow patients to get better who had another temporary cause of hypoxemia. Across the system, John, what's the time frame that you'd like to see patients proned within? So I don't have a specific answer on that, but I would say to do your paralytics or prone positioning as early as you can because the ECMO team, as they're consulting, is really looking at cannulating the patient before they've been on seven days of high ventilator support. And so you kind of want the patient to declare themselves if they're going to be a good ECMO candidate or not. Back to Phil. You've put him on ARDSnet. We've put him on a LASIK strip by the fact trial recommendations. Are you proning him yet? I'm not. At least, not yet. I'd like to give him a day or two on his new settings and with diuresis. That is backed up by the 12 hours in the Proceva trial, and it will let me know which way he's going to go. We've had a lot of patients like this. It's possible he's worse than the AM, and it's time to go further down the advanced ARDS pathway. But it's also possible he's exactly at the level of hypoxemia he's currently at. And we're still in the same position of pondering prone positioning and other therapies. It's also possible he's weaned to 50% and a PIPA 5 with a PF ratio greater than 200. I like it. So give him a day, maybe two, and continually reassess his PF ratio and maybe pull the trigger on proning at some other point in time if he is definitively ARDS and not getting better. So let's go over paralytics and ARDS. The Curious trial is the major RCT in paralytics for ARDS, and it came out in 2010. It put patients on continuous NIMBEX drips when they hit a PF ratio of 150 on a PEEP of 5 or greater. So essentially identical patients to the Perceva trial. Exactly. They had a modest improvement in mortality with most benefit seen below a PF ratio of 120. And as you'd expect, they had a lower rate of pneumothorax and barotrauma. So to take a practical approach for our listeners out there, both prone positioning trials and acuresis are looking at a moderate ARDS based on a PF ratio of 150 or less and moderate oxygen requirements. Definitely. Evidence from acuresis trials suggests we should start paralyzing ARDS patients when they reach moderate severity and certainly when their PF ratio hits 120 or below. Is this happening in real practice in our hospital system? Paralytics in general seem to be very provider-specific, and I've talked to several physicians in our group about paralytics who are on the more hesitant side, and I think it stems from training. Certain pulmonary critical care programs are paralytic cautious, and others are more paralytic liberal. Our physicians from the more cautious group seem apt to wait until the patient is manifesting signs of true vent to synchrony before pulling the trigger on a paralytic. We're also taught to be worried about muscle weakness that has been seen in paralytic usage. And while that's a consideration, interestingly enough, that was not seen in the paralytic group in the acuresis trial. You could speculate this was related to paralytic choice. 
you know, using the newer Nimbex over the more steroid-based vacuronium and rocuronium choices. But in general, earlier use of paralytics has become more standard practice of advanced arts care in our hospital system based on this trial. So are you paralyzing Phil? So let's say after a solid 24 hours of ARDSnet with a LASIK strip, since we're concerned about some component volume overload, if he's still at roughly the same oxygenation, then I would absolutely pull the trigger on paralytics. Let's say on day two of your stretch, you return to the hospital and his PF ratio is 120 on 70% of FiO2 and 14 of PEEP, so unchanged. Yep, I'd definitely paralyze him at that point. Would you prone him? I think I'd try to do a day of paralytics and give additional time for the LASIK strip to work. What's his urine output? He's staying ahead of his ends. He's got a solid urine output of 3 plus liters a day. That kind of cements my plan, but I'd be very deliberate to talk it over with the team and say tomorrow if he looks roughly the same or worse, we should move to prone positioning. Also, I can start to be more confident that he does have true ARDS if he hasn't started getting better with the LASIK strip with good urine output. Finally, I'd tell the night crew overnight that if he were to decompensate, I would move straight to prone positioning. Now it's day three of your stretch and you return. Phil's been paralyzed with a continuous Nimbex strip. Overnight, he desaturated after his morning chest x-ray, but now his sats have sort of recovered and are hanging around the low 90s. But his PF ratio has been consistently dropping, and it's currently holding at a PF ratio of 100. What's your next move? I'd definitely pull the trigger on proning him at this case, but I would continue the LASIK strip and paralytics. What other options would you consider at this point? ECMO is always an option as their ARDS gets more advanced. In fact, there is no guidelines around this, but at our hospital, we like to call the ECMO team around the time we're starting prone positioning. So I'd go ahead and call the ECMO team to evaluate this patient while we're preparing to prone him. We won't spend as much time reviewing ECMO for ARDS because we have a whole episode on that, so we'll link that in the show notes. But that episode dives into ECMO and ARDS in much greater detail. We will say that ECMO for ARDS has quality mortality reduction data, an RCT called CSER from 2009. So let's say you go ahead and prone him, you still got him paralyzed, still on ARDSnet, and still getting a LASIK strip. Yeah. You've called the ECMO team, they're aware of him, They have a circuit, should he decompensate, but the teams have decided through a mutually shared decision-making process to continue his current therapy and see if he improves. I'm with you so far. What's going to happen to his PF ratio after you start pronium? They're going to get better. In fact, it may technically push him out of severe ARDS, and it's not uncommon to see PF ratios fluctuating all over the map in prone positioning. They could be as high as 200 making him look like not an ARDS patient when he's in the prone position. But once he's returned to supine, they don't always get worse. They could still look good. A lot of times, though, they will steadily decline while he's supine at some point in time during the day. We often see them return to roughly their baseline PF ratio, which at the start of proning was 100, uh, if he hadn't started to get better. It's really interesting. So if you looked at one PF ratio in isolation when he was in prone position, you could think he didn't need ECMO or any other advanced ARDS therapy. And this is why using PF ratios as the major decision maker makes ARDS experts so uncomfortable, especially as you do all of these things, all of these advanced therapies to improve their oxygenation. It's hard to get a true reading on how sick the patient actually is. So if the average prone patient is prone for 16 hours and supine for 8 hours, then what PF ratio should we look at? Only supine? 
the average of all of them over 24 hours? We haven't seen any data or really much discussion on this topic outside of it, maybe a few areas. But if you're listening and have some thoughts, go ahead and share them with us in the comment section. But in the absence of data or advice from experts, I've gone to thinking about the last supine ABG PF ratio prior to proning as the more true PF ratio, indicating the patient's level of underlying hypoxemia. I have zero data to back that up, but it seems logical given that if we were to stop prone positioning right now, that their PF ratio would return closer to that number. Let's move on from those three RCT-proven therapies into more uncharted waters. Let's talk about airway pressure release ventilation, APRV, inhaled nitric oxide, and inhaled iloprost. So APRV has been around forever. And it's a unique ventilator mode consisting of setting a high pressure number followed by a short time in a low pressure setting. A patient cannot be paralyzed on APRV because they breathe during the high pressure and low pressure settings. There's no traditional rate or tidal volume settings. This allows for there to be a higher mean airway pressure. Just about every shift, there's somebody suggesting that we put an ARDS patient on APRV. Why aren't we using it more often? So it's used a lot by surgeons in a surgical ICU, but it really hasn't crossed over too much into medical ICUs, primarily because it's never had any true hard data. Red RCTs. Does it have any now? A single-center RCT came out in 2017, and this showed improved mortality, reduced ventilator days, and generally favorable results. But we still aren't using it for our ICUs. Right, and this trial, which we'll obviously put in the show notes, had some fantastic results. Almost too fantastic. This puts it squarely into most providers' narrative about single-center trials. One site with not enough patients gets unrealistic results. And there were only 138 patients in this case. To give you an idea on the APRV data in general, this is the largest RCT ever done on APRV to date. Josh Farkas of Palmkirt wrote an interesting post about his use of APRV a few months ago that we'll link in the show notes. He's using APRV protocol from this study for several good reasons he mentions, but mainly if it works, it keeps you from having to use paralytics, prone positioning, or ECMO, which all prolongs their ICU stay. We've pulled our team members in our hospital system, and it seems for now, APRV still has an uphill battle to face until it gets used more. Most people cite concern for lack of data and several practical considerations, like how do you manage ventilation once the patient's put on APRV? Most providers aren't familiar with it or lost familiarity with APRV, making adjustments more difficult if the patient is having problems ventilating. It can also lead to higher tidal volumes than ARDSnet approved if you aren't watching your settings closely. Let's move on from APRV and talk about our two inhaled pulmonary vasodilators, inhaled nitric oxide and inhaled iloprost. Should we be using these? Inhaled nitric oxide has been shown transiently to improve oxygenation, but has never been shown to reduce mortality, and actually it usually shows worsening kidney function. There's even less data on inhaled iloprost, really just case reports. It seems to improve oxygenation in those studies, but the average clinician will wait for better trials before making either of these inhaled agents a part of their regular ARDS therapy regimen. When to apply what ARDS therapies to our patients is the main area that we consistently discuss in our ICUs. Unfortunately, there's no defining paper or clear answer on when to apply what therapy. 
but we can look at the inclusion criteria as an average patients in each of these trials to get some clues. For example, the average patient in the PERCEVA trial was on 80% FiO2 with an average PEEP of 10 and an average PF ratio of 100. Thinking about this average PERCEVA patient really helps me know if I'm dedicating my patient to the therapy at the proper time. And the average PERCEVA patient sounds right around where we're describing Phil, a PF ratio of 100. Right, but let's compare that to the average patient and inclusion criteria for Caesar on ECMO support. To throw a wrinkle in it, Caesar used a Murray score of 3 or greater for inclusion criteria, and not simply a PF ratio alone. We'll link a Murray score calculator in the show notes. The Murray score consists of a PF ratio, PEEP, chest X-ray infiltrates, and the difference from all of the other previous studies and scoring systems we've looked at is lung compliance. The average patient in the Caesar trial had a PEEP of 14 and a PF ratio of 75. And so that helps us to compare the two studies, Perceva and Caesar. Caesar patients had more severe hypoxemia. Definitely. To me, that makes me think we should consider prone positioning before ECMO and could potentially be a therapy along the ARDS pathway to ECMO. Certainly, if a patient had rapidly declining hypoxemia, that would be reflective in the PF ratio, and they could potentially skip proning and go straight to ECMO. There was an interesting study a few years ago about driving pressure. Amato, the principal author, theorized that perhaps it isn't plateau pressure we should be worried about, but driving pressure. There are two ways to calculate this, but the quickest way is plateau pressure minus PEEP. And Amato had a really interesting study design. He basically took patients enrolled in these nine major ARDS trials, and he studied their driving pressure. He further divided these patients into subgroups, and he found that patients with a driving pressure less than 15 had a lower mortality than those who had a driving pressure of greater than 15. While it's a really neat study design, it's worth noting that studying someone else's RCT patients does not make a true RCT. Right, and this data is very much in the preliminary phase, but it has some neat applications. Scott Weingart did a podcast with Roy Brower talking about how he applies driving pressure in his daily practice, and it's well worth a listen. My take-home message from that podcast was considering manipulating the tidal volume even lower than 60 cc's per kg if your driving pressure is higher than you'd like. In most ARDS trials, you can go as low as 4 cc's per kg if needed. We'll finish with recommending an excellent post by Josh Farkas, who we've already talked about during this podcast. He's at Pulmcrit on Twitter. He recently did a post in January about ARDS versus pseudo-ARDS, and it's worth a read. He talks about these concepts that we're touching on in the podcast, about the unreliability of the PF ratio and the weakness of the current ARDS definitions. He believed that leads us to calling a lot of patients ARDS who have some other phenomenon leading to their hypoxemia, typically either volume overload or atelectasis. These patients he terms pseudo-ARDS, and they should get better of a much shorter time frame than your true ARDS patients, if treated properly. I think that's a good place to go back to Phil. We pulled the trigger on proning, and we called the ECMO team on day three of our stretch. What happens next? So his hypoxemia continued to persist for several more days, despite prone positioning and excellent diuresis on that LASIK strip. On day six of this example stretch, he was ultimately candidated for ECMO and survived to discharge. I'm relieved to hear that after two episodes, Phil didn't die. I thought we were going to have a Black Mirror episode ending on our hands. No, I wouldn't do that to you, All this advanced arts technology wasn't enough to save Phil. Not the Black Mirror version, Jer. 
All right, but he did run the gamut of advanced arts therapies. He definitely hit all the main ones we use frequently in our hospital system and that are well supported by mortality data. I think it was helpful for the ECMO team that we utilized advanced arts therapies in Phil. It let them follow the severity of his hypoxemia over the course of the week. This certainly isn't true for all patients with ARDS. Some get cannulated on day one or two and do just as well. What makes ARDS fun is that each case is different and we seem to get a multitude of differing opinions on the optimal time to do things. I still think the multitude of opinions stems from poor and fluctuating definitions of ARDS severity. If it was easy, there wouldn't be so much literature on it. Sounds like a good place to stop. Hopefully these ARDS episodes helped you take care of your next ARDS patient. Wear your PPE and thanks for listening. Until next time. Keep breathing, keep streaming, and keep reading.